This evening we will be continuing through the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. We have seen the last month some of the difficult issues of life, particularly relating to marriage. And in the next portion, the Lord begins his journey on the way to Jerusalem. And so we're well through the Gospel of Mark and by next year we will complete the whole Gospel. Already there is a kind of a moment of turning from the initial teaching, the miracles, the encounter with the powerful presence of Christ our Lord to the movement towards his suffering, death and resurrection. And so at this kind of crucial pivot point in the, the Gospel of Mark, we begin to have some lessons in what is expected of a disciple. What is required if we seek eternal life? What is required of those who seek the kingdom of God? And so our Lord gives some indications, answers to those questions. Already last week at the, at the last time we uh, were together for Lecture Divina, we saw the first bit of an answer. It is the little children he calls to come to him. Those are the ones who will inherit the kingdom of heaven. It is those who approach him without an agenda. People who come to him honestly, openly, without their own particular will in the way. They will be the ones. We must become like that if we are to seek the kingdom of God. And now in this portion, the chapter 10, verses 17 to 31 of the Gospel of Mark, we see another way of approaching this great question. Who will acquire and attain eternal life? Who will find the kingdom of God? We see a man running up to Jesus, eager, excited, that's a good sign. He's almost like a child. He's running up to Jesus. And he seems to be just what we should have in mind, a model for a disciple. But there's a flaw. There's something there that breaks his ability to be truly a child of the kingdom. And there's a lesson for each one of us as well and a challenge. And so as we meditate upon this passage, this crucial, pivotal passage in the Gospel of Mark, as we prepare to follow the Lord now on the journey towards Jerusalem and towards the suffering, death and resurrection, we need to ask ourselves as we listen to this portion of scripture, what does it say to me as a disciple of the Lord Jesus? How am I like that man who runs up to Jesus? And what can I do in my own life to make myself more disposed to be a supple instrument of God's grace to be more fully at the mercy of God and at the disposal of God, like a feather on the breath of God, so that I may truly come to the kingdom of God and attain eternal life. So as we hear these words, we should ask, as always when we do Lectio Divina, what does this passage say to my head, to my heart, and to my hands? What does it illuminate in my mind about the mystery of the plan of God? What does it say to my heart about the love I need to have for the Lord? And what does it say practically to my hands about what I should do about it in actually putting that into action? Head, heart, and hands. These are three different perspectives that we should always think about when we read the sacred scriptures and uh, they're really very much at the heart of the experience of Lecture Divina. So now let us begin 
in a spirit of prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit upon us, that we may hear your word, that it may illuminate our minds and touch our hearts and lead us into action as disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Let's ask the Lord forgiveness for those sins and that hardness of heart that blocks the way of the Lord, blocks the pathway to our hearts. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Let us get rid of all those distractions which so often clutter up our minds and hearts so there is no room for others and no room for God and no way to listen to his word. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments, do not kill, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have observed from my youth. And Jesus, looking upon him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. At that saying, his countenance fell and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And Peter began to say to him, lo, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many that are first will be last and the last first. 
And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus is setting out on his journey. It is the journey to Jerusalem, to his suffering, death, and resurrection. And he will soon speak of that to his disciples. He was setting out on his journey. He has a direction, a way that we are called to follow. The earliest term for Christianity was the way, to follow Christ, to live in the imitation of Christ, to journey with him, as we still do to some degree in our devotion of the way of the cross. As Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him. This is good. This is that kind of enthusiasm, that eagerness that we need to have. It is the kind of thing you would expect a little child to do. And children have just been praised in the previous portion of this reading and just the section just before this as the people who will enter the kingdom of God. And so this man is, is well disposed. He is called in another gospel, the young man and another uh, a ruler. We sometimes call him, here he's called rich, so the rich young ruler. I don't know. Here he's just simply a man who we learn later on is quite wealthy. But he runs up and kneels before Jesus. We have to start out that way. And we should continue with that depth of enthusiasm. But there's already a shadow upon it. And we sense there's something that's going to be in the way. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Good teacher. In, in the Jewish tradition, the term good, the Lord is good, the Lord God, the Heavenly Father. It's very rare to find the term good teacher, usually rabbi, teacher. But he goes overboard. Just as he runs, he kneels, he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he's hit the nail on the head. This is somebody admirable. He's cut through all the other things that so many people were all concerned about. And he got to the point. What must I do to inherit eternal life? It's just like uh, when G.K. Chesterton, a jolly, wonderful, lovable guy, when he became a Catholic, people said, why did you do that? And he said, to find forgiveness for my sins. Now, that's right. <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> there we are. And so we see this kind of openness, enthusiasm, aiming right, his eyes on the prize. He's an admirable man. And we should ask ourselves if we can at least begin our approach to Christ with something at least as admirable that we can imitate. Do we run to Christ? Do we kneel before him? Do we say, good teacher, do we get the right question? We're not so sure we're going to get the right answer in our own lives, but do we have the right question? And this one has it. How do I find eternal life? All the rest is kind of commentary. Let's ask the Lord to help us to imitate this rich man, this man in the beginning of this portion of the gospel, in the good things he has. Enthusiasm, zeal, wild abandon, running up to the Lord, not holding back, and asking the questions that count. 
Lord, give me the wisdom to get rid of the shrubbery of life and go for the questions that count in life. As the famous one at the, door, at the border, you know, the only things we need to know we learn at a border. Who are you? Where are you coming from? Where are you going? We're going for eternal life. Let's ask the Lord to help us start out as well as this man in the gospel. And ask him if perhaps we're too crabbed in our way of living our life. If we tiptoe towards the Lord instead of running towards him. If we just sort of bow a little bit instead of flinging ourselves before him like this good man. Do we have the right questions in our hearts? And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. I think we can see a little twinkle in the eye of the Lord in this. We know he likes this guy. Because later on, it's the only person I think, except in the Gospel of John, when we hear of the beloved disciple. But here's the only one I think of, that we hear later on, says Jesus loved him. He looked on him intently and loved him. He really is favorably disposed towards this man. But I think he's about saying in a sense, don't wait, slow down a little bit. Don't go over the top there. Good teacher, we do refer to the heavenly father as good. And so the enthusiasm of the first approach perhaps is a little bit of a warning already. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, slow down, slow down, calm down. Probably smiling at him as he did. Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone, the heavenly father, God alone. How often is our Enthusiasm, admirable though it may be, perhaps a little bit over the top. Life is a marathon, not a sprint. We need to run to some degree, but running all the time is just no future in that. Life is a marathon, not a sprint. We need to go deep, deep, deep. We need to go by the way of the Lord through his cross and resurrection. Like Dante, we can't run up, scoot up the heavenly mountain. We gotta go through hell, purgatory, and on to paradise. So nothing about, we don't want to extinguish enthusiasm. But a religion that is merely enthusiastic or is largely enthusiastic is not gonna last. All sizzle, no steak. And so in a sense, our Lord is saying to this man, just cut out the sizzle a bit here. Let's see what's there. And maybe we need to, you know, nothing wrong with being enthusiastic, but it's not the same thing as faith. I always think of Mother Teresa. 
you know, um, she, I think once or maybe twice in her life, she felt close to God. Had that kind of, wow, experience. The rest of the time, pretty cold, as her journals tell us. A great saint. <laughs> it's not all this running and dancing that does it. It's, there's a lot more. The substance is there that may not involve this kind of glitter and sizzle. So the Lord cools him down a little bit. And he gives them some basics. It's like, I, I mean, I keep repeating this thing, but I love it. It's a story of one of my favorite saints, Teresa of Avila. Um, kind of rambunctious. And, uh, you know, the famous thing when someone wanted to be a mystical nun like her and floating up, and, you know, she would, you know, hook her feet under the kneel so she didn't hit the ceiling, the, the usual in prayer. I'm sure we all experience it. And when she's going to these mystical raptures, and someone wanted that part, of her experience. And apparently, Teresa of Avila said, well, first let's do the dishes. So our Lord says to this enthusiastic guy, flinging himself at the feet of the Lord, maybe kind of he peels him off a bit, and he says, slow down. And then he says, you know the commandments. Do not kill, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. There we are. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. It's the head, heart, but what's happening with the hands? We need to act. Just like he says, do not say, Lord, Lord. Keep the commandments. Even the Gospel of John, which is sort of sublime and flying high and stratospheric, love, and in the letters of John, means the same thing. It's keep the commandments. The Ten Commandments, you know, not the Ten Suggestions. The Ten Commandments. You know the commandments. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. There's a bite to the faith. Turns out this is what Jesus says. It's not enough to run to him and fling yourself at him and say, wow, you know, good teacher. Religion, faith, is keep the commandments. Live a life of integrity. Love God, love neighbor. And mostly these, these are all from the second part of the Ten Commandments. He doesn't deal with loving God yet because he discovers, I think, that there is another God in this man's life. He'll deal with that later. But he gives him the second table of the commandments, how we relate to neighbor. So live your life out there. That's what we need to do. You know the commandments. Do not kill, do not commit adultery. Do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. This is not the kind of religion that is attractive to people, never has been, I suppose, where actually you have to do something, where you need to ask God's mercy for your sins, but first admit you have them, where there is our freedom, our egotistical freedom to do what we want is limited by the law of God. 
which is the law of true freedom, like the lines on the road that help us to get from point A to point B. It does not hem us in, but gives us freedom. But it does limit our ego's ability to be omnipotent. And that is why a lot of people prefer spirituality to religion. The kind of gooey part of the first, the sort of eager, enthusiastic part, but not the biting part, the part that impinges and limits our ability to romp with our own will. So let's ask the Lord to forgive us those times that we have perhaps been running and dancing before the Lord, but haven't stuck to the nitty gritty of thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not, those things that really are where our life is lived out day by day, moment by moment, in a life of integrity, of justice and love with the people we meet day by day, not far away, but day by day. We can get enthusiastic, that's good, but it's not faith. It's just the icing, it's not the cake. The commandments are the cake. Oh Lord, forgive me for the times I have not seen that and not lived that. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have observed from my youth. So that's good. He's been doing the right things. He has this joy, this eagerness, and he's also been doing the right things. And Jesus looking at him, looking upon him, loved him, and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. And so his first approach is exciting and admirable and he's kept the commandments, but you lack one thing. He has not sought the pearl of great price. There is one thing, and that is let it go. Sell what you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. It is that complete surrender to the Lord. It is that complete giving of self. I think our Lord sees within him that for all that is so good, and he loves him, he looks at him closely and loves him, he sees, I think, that the problem is perhaps not with the second part of the Ten Commandments. He's been pretty dutiful in doing the right things. But with the first part of the Ten Commandments, you shall love the Lord your God and you know, have no other God before him. Because he has gods as well, other gods that are 
have a claim upon his loyalty. Because at that saying, his countenance fell, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So our Lord challenges him on the first part of the Ten Commandments. He says to him, who is your God? Not have you been doing the right thing with your neighbor, because he probably has. But who is your God? Who do you follow? Who is your Lord? Let go of the gods you worship and come follow me. With this one, it was possessions. It says he had great possessions. He had a lot of baggage. But we can say, okay, well, there we go with the rich people with a lot of big bank account and everything. But I remember reading somewhere, some monk was writing a spiritual book. I forget where I read it. And it said, you know, a monk who has nothing else can become possessive over a broken teacup. It's mine. It's not the quantity in your bank account that's the issue. It's what is it in your heart that inhibits you from following the Lord? From giving your whole self, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know, so often we say, my kingdom come, my will be done. What is it? It might be wealth. In this case, it's obvious, and so he uses that. But there are a lot of other things, rich or poor, whatever, whoever we may be. Is there another God sitting in on the throne of our hearts which stops us from surrendering to God's will, to the call of the Lord? You lack one thing. And he looked at him, loved him, and said, you might say, invitingly, you lack one thing, go, go. Sell what you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. Simple, come, follow me. And all of us have to ask that. Do we have that complete disposition to follow Christ our Lord? Or what is it in our hearts that holds us back? Could be a big bank account, or maybe not. A lot of very generous people who are wealthy. That's just kind of the obvious symbol. We could be relatively poor, but filled with a desire for fame or popularity or whatever it might be. There are all kinds of little gods we can have in our hearts that aren't money. But we've got to get rid of whatever that is, because it holds us back. It could almost be any one of the, ten, of the seven deadly sins. Pride, anger, envy, greed, laziness, lust, gluttony. Those are things, too, that can sit in our hearts that we can't do without. And they hold us back. We live a double life and worship a second God. And that's idolatry. Anger may be one of, not just greed. Greed is the money part, perhaps. But anger also. Sometimes people cherish an anger in their heart. They nurture it. And they can't let it go. And it's usually justified. But it's just nothing wrong with being angry at injustice, and it's impossible not to be angry when we're hurt. 
That's just the first reaction, it's normal. But to cherish it so I can't let go of it, it's like a million bars of gold could be cherished as well. Or my little precious, the ring, whatever it is. Tolkien knew what he was talking about. He went to Mass every day, spent hours in adoration before the Blessed Sacrament. Oh, and he also said, the one I'm roughly quoting here, the only real romance, treasure, and glory in life is found before the Blessed Sacrament. This is treasure in heaven and not the other things, whatever they may be, we chase after. And Jesus looked upon him and loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. And that saying, his countenance fell and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. One thing is holding him back. Remember, this reminds me of that thing I think I've mentioned before. I love this story from the early fathers of the church, the desert fathers, where there's this young monk and old monk, and you know, the young monk says, I'm so like the young man in this gospel. I've kept the commandments, I've tried to do my best, I follow the rules of the monastery, done all the right things. And the old monk flings out his hands and flames shit out of his fingers. And he says, you must become fire. That's it. You must become fire. Let it burn away, whatever it is. Whether it's your, maybe your bank account, but it could also be your ego, or it could be whatever it, what is the one thing? Okay, this is a good thing to think about. A little quiet time. What is, is there one thing? What is that something in my life? We can each ask ourselves internally. No public confessions here. But what is the one thing that kind of holds me back from letting go? Not just physically running up to the Lord, like this one did fair enough at the beginning, but really letting go and coming and following. What's holding me back? Let's ask the Lord to take it out of our hearts. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. They probably been watching, uh, you know, the, you can get on TV different forms of religion where actually it's the point of religion is kind of, you can kind of get a part of the whole, there's a whole vision of religion where getting a wealthy, getting rich is sort of a sign of God's blessing. So sort of the, what you're, you're going for. But that's obviously not what he has in mind. But the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them, children, kind of affection here, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's not complicated, it's just sometimes hard. Children can do it, real children. And we can be as children who enter, but it's hard because of the things that hold us back. 
And then he says this great line, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now that is a wild statement. And people have been trying to slice it and dice it for quite a while. The word camel and it's camel and camel is kind of camelos is a rope. And so they say it really meant a rope, but a rope can't go through a needle either. Or they say there's a little gate in Jerusalem that a camel can only get through if it kneels down. We all have to kneel down. Actually, the only good part of that was in Indiana Jones. It's really true. The penitent man will pass or, you know, that's actually, the Indiana Jones thing is very wise at those points. You've got to walk on the name of God and you've got to kneel down. But not camels, I don't think, have to do that. And there is no such gate in Jerusalem that's ever just the ones that are made for tourists. So it's really, it's an effort to try to, this is Jesus, after all, talking. He used hyperbole. I could say he used hyperbole all the time, but that would be hyperbole to say he did that because he didn't. He used it some of the time. So, uh, you know, he's the same one who said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye, pluck it out. He's just trying to make a point. And you don't, uh, you know, Joseph of Arimathea was kind of a rich guy who probably was a saint. So, you know, we don't, we know how to read these things. It's sort of important in our knowing of the faith. But he makes the point very strongly. This is painting with bright colors. He never seems to use pastels. Children, how hard it is for, for, to enter the kingdom of... No, by the way, notice he says at first, children, notice how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. At that point, he doesn't say how hard it is for the rich. It's just how hard it is for all of us to enter the kingdom of God. Because it means a challenge to our hearts. We gotta pluck out the, the thing, whatever it is, and obvious things, money, but there are other things too, that hold us back. He says here, I didn't promise you a rose garden, but actually he says the only garden we have is, has a snake in the grass. So we've got to deal with that. There's always the, the repentance. You can't run up the Mount of Delight without going through the whole thing. No short circuits here. It's just like John Henry Newman says, you know, a, a short road to perfection. It's a wonderful little thing, which I wish I had memorized, but I haven't. But he talks about, you know, there are no short roads, but there are sure ones. And that is, get up on time, do your work, say your prayers, eat and drink to God's glory, get to bed on time, and you're already perfect. In other words, it's in the nitty gritty of ordinary life. It's like what Therese of Lisieux always talks about in the ordinary things of life. And so it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, for anyone who was loaded down with something. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? They want a, they want a religion where, you know, you're going to get ahead in the world. And he said, with men it's impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. God can break through even our own little minds and our little hearts and our crabbed way of approaching things. And then good old Peter, he always leaps forward. He's very much one of these people who's always jumping ahead. Uh, introverts are annoyed by people like Peter. They're always heading back at Peter, jumping out of the boat or speaking up. But he's always there, honestly and truly. Lo, we have left everything and followed you. 
And Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and the age to come eternal life. So Peter, honest Peter, blunders forward and just blurts it out. We've given up everything, Lord. And they had. And you look at them all. This is before the suffering, death, and resurrection. We know Peter still has a long way to go. He has yet to deny the Lord. He's still pretty frail. But he's right. We've given up everything. We're not hanging on to something. He may not have had a lot of whatever that this man that it says never doesn't say that he loved him the way he loved this man, the one who walked away. He did later on ask Peter, do you love me? But for all of that, this frail man who was more like jello than stone, he just blurted it out. Lord, we have left everything and followed you. And he had. So let's just ask for the spirit of Peter, not his denying the Lord and all that. But that just, Lord, I'm going to leave everything and follow you. I do not know where to go, but I will follow you. That's it. It's just like later on at the end of John's gospel, the requirements for being Pope are, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? That's it. <laughs> it's good for the Cardinals to know this when you're cast to their ballots, <laughs> but it's it. It's just that fundamental simplicity. Faith is not complex. It is difficult, as the Lord says here, because of our own sins and the things we cling to. But it's not complicated difficult. It's egotistical difficult, which is a different kind of thing. And maybe a more challenging one. Let's pray we have the blurting out honesty and simplicity of Peter. So it's not for me to interpret the times the Lord is joking with people, because that's underneath in the text, it's no little symbols he's doing that. But I think there's a certain smile on the face of the Lord when the young man rushes up to him, because he seems to be treating him with great love and understanding. And then he says, children, uh, children, he says, as he talks to a certain affectionate tone for the apostles. But I think when Peter says, I've left, left everything, then our Lord sort of spins it out a little bit. He says, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands. Did I get everything, Peter? You know. For my sake or for the gospel, 
who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children. Well, that's interesting. We get more brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. But with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. So all these things have been lost and all these things will come back with persecution. It's part of this veil of tears as so very, very many of our brothers and sisters in Christ are experiencing at this very moment. Evil seeks out the children of God and those who are innocent and true. And we see it today. We've seen it through history. We've never seen it, I don't think, well, rarely as much as in these days. And it should make us think deeply of what we are giving up in our own life, what we are willing to do for Christ our Lord. And so many of our brothers and sisters are giving up their lives for Christ our Lord. It's not theoretical. You can see it videotaped on the TV. You can see it before your very eyes. We shouldn't live in a bubble over here in Canada. And if this is true as it is, then how can we be so petty in the things we cling to that hinder us from giving ourselves to follow Christ? Our brothers and sisters put us to shame and challenge us. When they die for Christ, they challenge us to live for Christ. to be even in some slight way worthy of the example of martyrdom they give us, of witnessing. And then our Lord ends off, the many that are first will be last and the last first. The world turned upside down. What you think is important is not. What you think is unimportant is not. It's a little wisdom again in that last, I think it's the last Indiana Jones uh, thing, there's a lot of good in that movie. Well, where is the cup of the carpenter? It's not where you think it is. We have to be penitential. We have to stand on the name of God and alone, trust in God alone. We need to leap into the hands of God. We need to discern where the Lord is. And that's really a, a kind of a little commentary on what the Lord is saying to us here. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments, do not kill, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have observed from my youth. And Jesus, looking upon him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell what you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, 
follow me. At that saying, his countenance fell, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. And he said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And Peter began to say to him, Lo, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many that are first will be last, and the last first. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.